welcome to Creekside tonight. Uh, this is always a special time. I want to invite everyone to slow down and take just this short time to lift our voices to the Lord, to remember the reason that we uh, celebrate this holiday. Uh, let's just bow our heads in prayer and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to come before you. Uh, Lord, we know that our music and our praises are like incense before your throne. Uh, Father, we just ask that you would still our hearts and cause us to contemplate again how amazing it is that Jesus came down to this earth, took on the form of a man to live a perfect life, the life that we could never live, die the death that we deserved so that we could have peace with God. Uh, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Just want to thank you for coming out on this uh, really cold night and uh, joining with us for this Christmas Eve service. Hopefully our hearts are warmed and our lives are changed by just a reminder of what Christ has done. Thank you for uh, to Alan and to Dakota, for Chris and for all those who've made this possible. I would just like to ask you to pray with me if you would. Father, uh, we just got done singing about giving you uh, all the glory, and I pray that we would give you all the glory for who you are and what you've done. And this Christmas, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, perhaps in a, a fresh way. Perhaps old truths can become richer and fuller and more meaningful. Perhaps old truths can become new truths. Perhaps the truth might hit us for the very first time. And I pray that your spirit would work to touch our hearts with the truths from your word for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. This may not be fair, but I'm going to have you do a quiz with me tonight. So if you're not from Iowa, this might be a little bit of a challenge, okay? Uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, you can take the challenge. So what we're going to do, I'm going I'm to tell you the name of a celebrity, and I want you to tell me what their hometown is, where they were born, 
in Iowa, okay? So I'm going to give the first one is Andy Williams, okay? Now, some of you who are under the age of 50 might not even know who Andy Williams is, but you can Google it. It's, uh, it's there. So who, Andy Williams, anybody know where Andy Williams was born? Wall Lake, Iowa. Anybody know where Wall Lake, Iowa is? Obviously, if you know that, you probably know where it is. Northwest Iowa, okay, is where Wall Lake is. Okay, uh, Andy Williams, Mamie Eisenhower. Boone, Iowa. Yeah, not too difficult. What about Tom Arnold? Ottumwa, Iowa. Tom Arnold was born in Ottumwa, Iowa. What about Marion Michael Morrison? A.K.A. John Wayne. Yeah, Winterset. He wasn't born John Wayne. He was born Marion Michael Morrison. All right. What about Simon Estes? Centerville, Iowa. Simon Estes was born in Centerville, Iowa. What about Ashton Kutcher? Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids, Iowa. What about Dan Gable? Waterloo, Iowa. Yes. What about Herbert Hoover? West Branch, Iowa. Okay, so these are hometown heroes, okay? In their hometowns, they were the hometown heroes. They were the, they were the main people. And most of these towns, or cities, had little notoriety apart from the fact that there was a celebrity born in those towns. But tonight, as we talk about the birth of Jesus and the place of Bethlehem, it's not necessarily the case one had no significance apart from the other, unlike uh, the Iowans who invested their birthplace with significance. Jesus and his hometown are both brimming with interconnected significance. And I just want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about a couple of those reasons why it's significant. I want to talk about two things that are related to the significance of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem that I think should have importance for, for all of us, okay? The first one is that we want to consider the significance of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Why is that significant? Well, there are, there are a lot, I'm sure, but I'm just going to list out for you five significant spiritual ties between Jesus and Bethlehem, okay? And the first one is this, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, which is the city of David, wasn't accidental. It was providential. The fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem wasn't an accident. And it wasn't an accident because it came about as a result of a decree that his family should go there and be counted for a census. You say, well, okay, that's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal because this was relates to the second significant tie, and that is because the exact location of the Messiah's birth was predicted 700 years before it actually took place. You heard it read, you may not remember it, but in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet Micah uh, t told that this word, he said, Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. There was a promised king in the Old Testament. There was a king that was promised. And this king would come from the line of David, 
born and be born in Bethlehem. So the line of David, David's home was in Bethlehem, born there in 1085, 1035. And then he would have a descendant who would be born who would eventually become the king that was promised to rule over Israel, this Messiah. Okay, you say, okay, well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That could have been a coincidence. Uh, but then there was this promise 700 years prior that the king would be born in Bethlehem. That's not necessarily conclusive that there's a significant connection between Jesus and Bethlehem. Except when you consider the fact that uh, this promised king, that Jesus was in fact the ruler that Micah talked about, this one ruler who would come and be born in Bethlehem, in, promised in Micah. And we know that from Matthew chapter 2. Because in Matthew chapter 2, like months later after Jesus was born, the Magi from the east came looking for this king who was born, the king of the Jews. And they came to Herod, who was the, the, the provincial leader at that time. And they said, uh, where's this guy, where's the, where's the king of the Jews, where's he to be born? Well, Herod had no clue. Uh, so he calls in the scribes and the, and the chief priests and they say, oh, yeah. Here's where he's supposed to be born. And they quoted Micah chapter 5 verse 2. They said, in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. He, that's where he's supposed to be born. This Jesus who was supposed to be king of the Jews. The fulfillment of Micah's prophecy in the person of Jesus. So Jesus was in fact that Messiah, the king of the Jews who was promised and was born in Bethlehem. The fact that it's proven that gives me confidence that he is the Messiah. It was said that it would be, happen to him. And then they wanted to know where this king was born. It was in Bethlehem and Jesus was there. And it also gives me confidence in God's word. Now, most of you will not know uh, the, the name Dan McCartney or Bill McCartney. He was the head football coach at the University of Colorado for years. Okay? And whenever his team was going on the road and they were facing a difficult opponent, he would schedule three-minute interviews with each of his 60-team traveling, traveling team roster. And he would call them into his office, and he would sit across from them, he'd look them square in the eye, and he'd say, what can I expect from you on Saturday? And they'd say, Coach, I'm going to give it my all. And he'd stand up, he'd shake their hands, he'd look them in the eye and say, I'm going to hold you to it. And invariably, Time after time after time, his guys stepped up to the challenge. Why? Because they were confronted face to face. Their word was their bond. What we see in the truth of the word of God is that God's word is his bond. He said, oh, there's going to be a king born. Son of David, going to rule over the kings for, uh, the, over the lands forever. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then the Magi come and they say, oh, who's it? where's this king of the Jews born? It's in Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, his word is true. His word is his bond, and his bond is true. The king was not only promised. The king was provided in the person of Jesus, which leads to the next significant connection. The, the spiritual purpose of Jesus' birth was portrayed in Bethlehem years before Micah even prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. Some of you have read the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, the story is about the redemption of Ruth, Naomi, and their family. And what happens in the story, in Ruth chapter 4, we see that Boaz, this guy who's related to Naomi, one of the main characters, because his relative was married to Naomi, 
He's dead now. And the daughter, the son's this relative's dead. His sons are dead. And so there's this problem. Naomi is a widow. And in those days, they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have uh, all kinds of assistance programs. It was your family took care of you. And so what happened is Boaz, her nearest relative, stepped up to the plate. He said, I'm going to buy the land of my relative, and I'm going to raise up a child or uh, the firstborn uh, of this marriage between me and my relative's son's wife, who the son's dead, I'm going to take care of him. And so when he bought the land, he basically committed to take care of his mother-in-law, or the, the, his mother-in-law, kind of, supposedly sort of mother-in-law, and the wife, and by raising a son, this son would become her son, Naomi's son. He would become the son who would take care of and provide for all of her needs and all of her concerns and all of her cares. And so he paid the price for the land in order to have the right to take care of Naomi and then that son born to him and Ruth would be the one who was called Naomi's Redeemer, which is interesting to me. I thought Boaz was the Redeemer. Well, he was. But so was Obed, the son of Boaz and Ruth. Because it says in Ruth chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, that this son that was born is a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. Hmm. Naomi's grandson would pay the price through his labor, to free her from all the concerns that she would need to provide for her family. Both Boaz and his son Obed pictured in a practical and temporary way what their ancestor, their, or not their ancestor, their descendant, Jesus, would provide spiritually and eternally. They took care of the mother-in-law, Naomi, the, the widowed woman, Naomi. They took care of Ruth, who lost her husband. And Boaz and Ruth got married, and they had a son. And this son would be considered Naomi's son because from an inheritance standpoint and from a land standpoint, the land had to stay in the line of the father. And so it would, by virtue of this son, provided for all that they had and all that they needed. And so what they did in a very practical, physical sense, in a short-term sense, Jesus did coming on the scene in a spiritual sense. He paid the price needed to be our restorer of life and our sustainer throughout our life that's what Jesus did by paying the price to release us from our debts because there was a famine in the land she had debts she had concerns had problems and Galatians chapter 4 verse 5 says that Jesus was born that he might redeem those who were under the law that they might receive the adoption as sons you see just as Boaz had paid the price for the land so Obed could be come Naomi's son. His son actually became Naomi's son. He had to give up rights. The dad actually wasn't considered to be the father of this child. This child became the son of actually the child's grandmother to take care of her. The land went to him to take care of her. And in the same way, what happens is Jesus paid the price so that we could become the children of God. Boaz paid the price so that Obed could become the son of Naomi. Jesus Christ paid the price so that we could become the children of God. And the price that he had to pay was to satisfy the wrath of God that would come upon every human being because of our sin. And the wrath of God coming upon us because of our sin is because of our sin. Without our sin, we don't need a Savior. 
But the Bible's clear. Your sin has made a separation between you and your God, Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. And you say, what is sin? Well, I don't do anything nearly as bad as a lot of people. Okay, fine. But sin is not just an action, it's thoughts. It's motive. It's active rebellion against God. It's like, I know what God wants, but I ain't going there. Or it's passive indifference. Well, you know, I'm doing fine on my own. God, just leave me alone. It's failing to meet up to God's perfect standard. And the Bible says we're all guilty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The price paid to deliver us from the debt of our sin was the blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 tell us that it was his own blood that he delivered us from our sins. That It says it was his own precious blood that Christ by which he redeemed us. He died in our place as the perfect, unblemished, sacrificial, spotless lamb. Now that's a figurative term from the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament they sacrificed lambs. The, the blood would temporarily cover the sins of the people. Little known fact, maybe, maybe you all knew this, but uh, Bethlehem was designated by the high priests as the place where they would raise the unblemished, spotless lambs that they would use to sacrifice in the Passover. Oh, interesting, isn't it? That John says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That he, the ultimate Passover sacrifice, was sacrificed and he was born in Bethlehem. Connecting us and Jesus there together. And so Jesus purchased our pardon, releasing us from the debt of our sin when he shed his blood on the cross once for all and sat down at the right hand of God. I'm going to read for you a little passage in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14, which puts it this way, beginning with verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all. He entered into the presence of God. Okay? So the sacrifice would make you clean enough to, the, the high priest clean enough to enter into the holy place to intercede on behalf of the people once a year. But Jesus, when he suffered and sacrificed himself, it says he did it once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What was the redemption that Boaz and Obed bought? Temporary. What Jesus did was permanent. The price was paid was permanent. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled by the uh, defiled sanctifies for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 12 of chapter 10, but he Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. You see what he did? He was born a baby, but he grew up and he died. And when he died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin that each of us deserves to pay. Well, that's all good and well to know it. But because he died in our place, the sentence of death was averted, but it was not averted for everyone. It was only averted for those who would accept his death as the payment for their sins. When Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Never die. If I had the cure for COVID, which I don't, if there was a cure for COVID, it would benefit only the people who took it. Just because there's a cure doesn't mean you're cured. Only if you take the cure are you cured for COVID. Well, Jesus 
death in our place, redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse, the condemnation that was due us, so that if we would take it, we would be cured from our sin. I like this little poem that was written by a guy by the name of Roy Leeson. He describes the whole of Jesus' life. Little baby on the hay, soon there'll be another day when nails shall pierce your hands and feet as you provide our sin's defeat. Risen Jesus on the throne, we lift our praise to you alone. You're the gift that we receive the moment that our hearts believe. The king was promised. The king was provided. The king pardons. Lastly, Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. That Jesus pardons our sin is seen confirmed in the fact that as John says in 635, Jesus, actually Jesus said it in John 635, it's recorded there, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never hunger. As physical bread satisfies our appetite for a time. Jesus, the bread of life, spiritually satisfies our spiritual needs forever. I don't know about you, but if you haven't, you will probably overeat sometime in the next week. Okay? You'll eat and eat and eat physical food that you will feel satisfied, and then you'll walk away, and then, you know, an hour or two later, you'll come back, whether you're hungry or not, and you'll eat more and more and more. But you'll feel hungry. I used to remember in college we would, we would eat pizza like 11 o'clock at night. Oh, we're starving. You know, let's order a pizza. So we'd order a big pizza. And I'd think, man, I'm so full I'll never be hungry in the morning. I woke up starving. Because you stretch your stomach out and you know, your stomach wants more. We always want more. That's the way it is with physical food. But the spiritual food, the satisfaction that Jesus provides, which Augustine said, our hearts, our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. When we find our rest through a personal relationship with God in in his son Jesus, our soul doesn't long for satisfaction anymore. He is our satisfaction. We're not hungry anymore. And that's what Jesus provides for us. So we have these significant connectors between Jesus and Bethlehem. The real question then becomes, will we consider what we're going to do with that? So what? I mean, who cares? Oh, that's some nice facts, you know, kind of connects us with Jesus and that. The question is, what is our response? And I think there are at least three. First is, just forget it. I mean, who cares? Some of you might say that. We can turn away from Jesus. And, you know, in fact, that's what most of the people at Bethlehem when Jesus was born did, right? I mean, they weren't showing up in droves to see this baby born in a manger, the star, you know, who cares? Hey, it's a bright star, big deal. But Jesus did show up. And I look and I see that we are not a lot different than the people in Bethlehem's day. We're frantic, but we're not very fulfilled. Uh, People, you know, energetic, but they're still empty, walking around empty. People are harried, but they're not happy. Comfortable, but not content. This is the world in which we live. Possessing more and yet still not at peace. It's interesting, especially this time of year, right? I mean, this may be the longest you ever sat in one spot for, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, a week or a month. It's Christmas. And we're rushing around from pillar to post, trying to impress people that we don't know with things that we can't afford. Uh, And for what? 
I mean, I'm driving, I'm driving on Hickman Road the other night, and I'm going out there, and it's like people are like lined up from clear back to the freeway coming east to turn in to see the light show at Living History Farms. Not, nothing wrong with doing that, but I'm thinking, wow, we're spending all this energy and time for, for that, and we're not happy and we're not satisfied, just like the people in Bethlehem, oblivious to Christ, oblivious to the star and ignorant of the prophetic promise. And so many of us miss out on Christmas. And I just would like to say to you tonight, don't miss Christ in Christmas. It's about him, born as a babe in a manger, but who died on a cross to pay for our sins so that we might be free from the debt we owe and have eternal life that begins the moment we put our faith or our trust in Christ, which is the second response, we can trust Christ. Right? We can turn and we can trust. Luke 2.20 tells us something interesting, that the shepherds uh, were the outsiders. They were the unclean people. Isn't it fascinating that God went to the outsiders to communicate, and they're the ones who came and showed up. And they came and they saw and they left and they told. <laughs> you know? But these are the outsiders who were entrusted with Jesus. They were the first ones to acknowledge Jesus. I want to know, are we so busy? That we're too busy to believe that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died to pay the debt that I owe. Are we so caught up in the presence that we miss the presence of Jesus? If you have never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, turning from your sin and accepting what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for your sins, I just would like to unapologetically challenge you to do that because that's what Christmas is about oh it's nice and it's comfy and in a few moments we're going to light candles and it's going to be kind of a surreal moment and and I want us to enjoy that I think we should but the light reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world shining in the darkness to drive out the darkness of sin so that we can live with purpose and meaning now and forever We can turn from Christ, we can trust Christ, and if we've trusted Christ, then we should tell others, just like the shepherds did. (laughs) I love love the fact that, you know, Jesus invites us to trust him when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the invitation. If we've received the invitation, then we should tell others just like they did. What did they tell him? Luke chapter 2 Verse 11 says, they said this, There has been born for you, this is what the angel told them, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Luke chapter 2 verse 17, it says the shepherds left declaring what had been told them, what had been told them. There is a Savior who has been born for you who is Christ the Lord. I just want to say, you know what, if you're here this this evening, um, every believer wants you to trust Christ. Every believer wants our family to trust to know Christ. Every believer wants our co-workers to know Christ. Every believer wants our friends to know Christ. In fact, every believer wants their enemies to know Christ. And if we know Christ, how are they going to know? When we tell them. We tell them just like the shepherds did. If there was a cure for COVID, I'd take it. If there was a cure for COVID, I'd share it. There's a cure for our sin, and we, if we've taken it, then we should share it 
And most of all, we should share it this time of year with people who don't know Jesus. And so I hope and I pray that you know the, the Savior who was born on Christmas Day many years ago. And if you don't, you can. And if you do, let's tell. So let's sing and praise God and give Him the glory. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's go ahead and stand together. This will be our final song. And these candles are just a reminder of that light. As we just heard that the people that walked in darkness had seen a great light. hope everyone has a blessed Christmas and that the light of Christ uh, would shine in your hearts this week. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus, for that wondrous pure light uh, that shines in the darkness of this world and that shines in the darkness of our hearts. Father, as we go out tonight, may you remind us of that truth. Uh, may we be encouraged at home and as we go out into the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.